What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Rockcast, brought to you by Onyx Hunt Maps. Jordan here, and we're going to roll through another episode of Tipsy Tuesday. It is uh, April 12th, and yeah, we're just going to run through it. So first things first is the sixth year in a row, we have the Rockslide uh, Cold Bow Challenge. So this is the sixth year. Basically, uh, what the Cold Bow Challenge is, is they are challenging you to test your realistic maximum effective range. So they call that the MER. So basically what that means is like if you were going to go out today and you were going to shoot an animal, what is the max distance that you would shoot at the animal? Like what do you, what do you think in your mind is your max effective range? So um, I'm going to be doing this uh, contest or the, the challenge as well. It is not a contest, not a competition. It's just a challenge. And there are prizes that are going to be drawn for it as well. But, uh, it is, it's not like a contest of who shoots better or anything like that. Um, so I'm going to be participating in it as well. So I'm going to say my max effective range is 70 yards. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to set my, my, uh, target at 70 yards I'm going to walk back, I'm going to make one shot at 70 yards, and then I'm going to go to the target and I'm going to take a picture of where I hit on that, and then I'm going to post it in the Cold Bow Challenge thread as my own post, um, and I'm going to do that five times, five different days, or yeah, one time a day, but five different days. So the challenge is going to begin April 30th on a Saturday. And it is going to end March 28th. Sorry, not March. May 28th. So it's going to run four weeks. Within those four weeks, you can post your five different days, like anytime during that. It doesn't have to be five consecutive days. Um, there's a little extra kicker in here for the, the prizes. Um, the prizes are, again, they're just going to be drawn out of a hat, basically. So... Uh, if you want to get in on the prizes, the cap for that is 150 shooters. So basically, you got to get going on it because like that's going to fill up pretty dang fast. Uh, this is a super popular challenge that we've been doing for a while, and uh, it's going to fill up pretty quick. So um, get on and, and do that. I think I explained it pretty good. Basically, so how you find it is you go to the Rockslide forums, go to the archery sub forum, and at the top of that, after you click on it, there's going to be a sticky thread that is going to be called, right now, it's called the uh, Cold Bow Challenge question, uh, the Q&A. So you can do questions uh, on there, but the real thread is not going to go live until 8.15 uh, Mountain Time on... April 30th, which is, again, is a Saturday. So it's going to run four weeks. You need to post, uh, you need to shoot five different days. Within that, you cannot, like, you cannot have warm-up shots going into your one shot. It is just a one shot. And then in between your days of posting, you also cannot have any practice shots. And basically what this is doing is it is, like, replicating your time in a field of hey, you know, you're just going to get one shot at an animal and you're not going to have practice shots leading up to that. And then you might go, you know, two, three, four days in between getting a shot at something where you're not shooting at all. So it's trying to replicate that. So keep that in mind. It's the honor system. Be cool. 
and be part of the challenge. So it's like a five-day, five-arrow challenge. Okay. So to get all the information on this, all the rules, go to that forum thread and you will find it. Uh, there's going to be a point system that is laid out. And now to the prizes. There are not all the prizes are not up yet uh, just because, you know, we're still like three weeks out, two, three weeks out. Um, so, yeah, keep in mind some of these, some things might be added. But as of right now, Crispy is kicking in 400 bucks for uh, to spend on any boot in the Crispy store. Um, you're going to get a choice of uh, iron, a three-pack of Ironwell Broadheads or their knife. Um, Mountic Outdoors is in for 300 bucks and a gift certificate. Uh, Tido or Tito uh, did a Ghost Fix blade knife. Uh, Phone Scope kicked in a kit for uh, valued at 125 bucks. Uh, they also kicked in a Pirate Putty kit uh, that's a $50 bundle. And then Creative Outdoors is going to give away one of their Montana Bowslings. So that is up. I am going to be participating in it. I haven't quite uh, dubbed what I'm going to make my maximum effective range yet. I'm going to actually just call it right now and say it's going to be 60 yards. So uh, 60 yards. I'm going to be shooting the Matthews, uh, the new V3X bow. Super excited to get that thing. Um, <clears throat> a couple years ago, I bought the VXR when it came out. And uh, now being able to get the V3X, super excited to to shoot that bow. Um, I'm going to be running about 450 grains, 460 grains. I need to add up my arrow setup again um, with 125 grain day six uh, broadheads on the front. So that's the setup that I'm going to be running at 60 yards. I'm going to be a part of it. It's going to be fun. So go over to the Rockside forums and check that out. Okay, latest episodes, talked with Brad Brooks from Argali about their uh, new tents coming out. They're coming out with two new tents. Uh, they're floorless with a um, insert options. You can have like a floored option sometimes. Uh, they're going to have a stove jack included as well. So uh, very versatile. So he went through those, really geeked out in the material that they used, why they used it, um, features it comes with, different coatings, um, seam sealing, all kinds of stuff, and I can't wait to get my hands on one of those. And then talked with Jaden Bales about the uh, just a big Wyoming update. There's a new bill that just passed called the 9010 bill, basically how they're allotting, splitting up tags for the big three between non-residents and residents. So you can go give that a listen. Um, we talked with Mike Street, who published an article on the Rockslide website about... Um, the bonus point slash weighted point system in Colorado for the big three, kind of how that works and why the system is in fact working. Although a lot of times you hear that getting bonus points doesn't matter. And then we talked with Trail Kreitzer um, about all things gear at the Western Hunt Expo. We closed out our last episode of the Western Hunt Expo with Trail. So go check those out. Uh, new Rockside articles. We have one new one. The 2022 QU Mountain Star two-person uh, tent review. It is an updated version, it sounds like, from the other ones. Um, and it is a video version, and then they tied it into an article. So go look at that. Link down in the or in the, uh, the show notes. And then I just dug through and found a couple of articles that I thought would be interesting to resurface um, because 
things. There are so many articles on the Rockslide website, but they do tend to get buried. So first one's from Jim Carr. It's called What It Takes to Be a Successful Hunter. He goes through, you know, mindset, things you got to do, stay persistent. And it's just a really good article. Might inspire you a little bit to really kick it in the ass this year. And then Darren Cooper wrote an article back in 2013 called the Trick Pin System, which if you're an archery geek and you haven't heard of that, you should go check it out. Um, I feel like I am not qualified to talk about it. Um, It's very kind of complex, and especially how Darren went into it is pretty complex. So basically, I believe what they are trying to do is find a pin, especially if you have a flat shooting bow, um, find a pin that is kind of that really good middle ground that if he's a little farther, like if he, if you drew on him and he's like a little further than you, than he was when you drew, um, you have like practiced enough, this trick pin system enough that you, you know, like how high to aim or how low to aim if they're closer or things like that. So if you're an archery geek, go check that out. Link is down in the show notes. Um, new products, there have been like a new, uh, a few new products that have come out. Um, one of those is the Kafaru Hellbender, and that pack is basically a little bit of a redesign on the Striker XL. They have another pocket out in front that is a sewn-in, and then the uh, the load shelf is that X-Pack material. So they got rid of all the PALS webbing inside the uh, inside the load shelf and just did X-Pack, so it's easier to clean. I have one. I've been running it for a little while. Um, I do like it. I think I do prefer the Striker XL um, just because it doesn't have that sewn-in pocket on the back. It can be a little more uh, versatile with that. And then I can also put stuff on the pals in the inside, even though I usually don't. But um, this is another great mix-up of packs coming out, um, especially with that idea of the load sling. Um, First Light just came out with their Origin hoodie. It is basically an an update with some new features to the Kalamath hoodie. So their Kalamath hoodie was their, um, or is there, sorry, they still have it, is their grid fleece. So a really good staple mid-layer piece for me. I have the same Kalamath hoodie that uh, I actually got as a tester back, gosh, when they came out with that, which was years and years ago. Um, I really like it. So what they did with the Origin is they updated the outer material, the face fabric, so it's more of a DWR. It definitely it bucks wind a little bit better than the Klamath did, and it's going to just shed moisture a little bit better than the Klamath did. It's a very slick material. It's really quiet. Um, I like it a lot. They added a, a pocket in the front, so it's like a zippered, they call it a kangaroo pocket, but it's basically like a hoodie pocket with zippers on each side. Um, so that's nice, and then they integrated a uh, face mask into the hood um as far as like fit goes i wear a medium in both i think they fit really really similar um i think like on the bottoms on the cuff uh the origin might be a little bit bigger around um doesn't fit quite as tightly as the klamath which i do like um lengthwise they seem to both be okay i think the origin um tips over in like the arms are longer on the origin than they are on the Klamath. So that's nice for us really long armed people. Um, and then the origin has thumb holes in the sleeves as well. And it's just been, been a good system. Um, I got to, uh, I got to use one last fall and I, I really like it. Um, 
And then I've I've been getting some questions shot over about a potential new rain gear system from First Light. And uh, it has been talked about by a couple of um, well-known well-known people. And some people heard, heard about it and asked if I've used it. And I have used it. Uh, I used it in Alaska last year on my sheep hunt. It is a new, burly, um, redesigned first light rain gear piece coming. They're heavier duty. Um, I really think that they knocked it out of the park and were very, like, they thought outside of the box in the uh, the features that they have in this. Um, it's just not as cookie cutter as a lot of the other, like, heavyweight rain gear um, systems are. So that's that's coming um, I think you can go on if you're super interested. You can go on the First Light website and you can sign up to like when new products drop, it'll send you an email. But be looking forward to that, especially if you're in the market for some heavy duty rain gear. Like that stuff is is kick ass. I used it a lot last year. Okay, on to some hot news. So up in Alaska, there was a uh, fe- the Federal Substance Board had a deal going where there was some um, local substance hunters in the northwest um, portion of Alaska that were saying that bringing in outside hunters, you know, and outside even meaning meaning Alaska residents, but they were going and hunting in, um, you know, around some of these native villages and things, that they were impacting how the caribou migration um, migrated through and then also how the moose populations were. So uh, they wanted to regulate, you know, essentially non-resident, but also Alaska residents, but just like non-sustenance hunters. Um, if you, do you have to have a certain amount of like qualifications to qualify for the sustenance hunting? And most of everybody listening to this are not going to qualify for that. So you're basically like, we lost some hunting opportunity. Um, at first, they wanted to completely shut down the entire area proposed, which is going to be like 60 million acres. Um, instead, on March 30th, they went ahead and unanimously approved the Wildlife Special Action 21-01A, um, which is going to close the northwestern Alaska region to caribou and moose hunting by most, like they're calling them non-locals. Um, for at least the next couple of years is what they have proposed or what they have passed. So there is a cap on it, but you know, that of course could, once they've gotten this far, like that cap could easily be extended. I'm quite certain. Um, so yeah, instead of closing all lands in that section, they have closed the national preserve. It's called the NOTAC, something similar to that. National Preserve and then all BLM lands in between the Kobuk and Notak rivers to caribou hunting. And then all federal lands in Unit 23 um, are closed to the moose harvest by on non-federally qualified subsistence uh, hunters. I have no idea what it takes to be qualified as a subsistence hunter, but I'm pretty sure you have to live in like one of those remote villages that are up there. So... Even though this has gone through, like, people are pretty pissed uh, because there's really not science to back it. It's just some, like, uh, some of the local hunters said that, hey, we think 
people coming in and non-locals uh, putting pressure on these herds is delaying them getting to us. So therefore, like we are seeing the, like we're seeing the effects of it of like declining populations basically or delayed migrations. So here's a quick, uh, um, a quick little stat here. So. Alaska estimates the average annual harvest of the Western Arctic herd caribou was around 12,000 animals between the 17 and 19 years. So between 2017 and 2019. It says non-locals were responsible for about 64 of those caribou killed per year. So uh, as you can see, like the, the, obviously the be just looking at that set alone i guess it doesn't really add up to like that um everybody else is really putting a big big hindrance on them but it did happen um i have a buddy that's been waiting to go on this his caribou hunt for three years and he basically you know got kicked in the nuts with this um and can't go and he's not alone there's a ton of people i'm sure a few you listen to the podcast um this has become an issue so I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do uh, since it is like a BLM only or the National Preserve. Like from what I am gathering, state ground is is an option. Um, but if everybody does that, that's going to congregate a lot of people. And also, I'm not sure how big those state tracks are. So something going on in Alaska. Um, okay. Back to the lower 48 in Wyoming, the corner crossing case that we've been talking about and has been pretty damn hot topic around. It says uh, that it could move to federal court as the uh, the attorney for the hunters that were charged with all of this stuff for crossing a corner. Um, they filed a petition on March 22nd in the U.S. District Court for Wyoming um, requesting that the case be moved from Wyoming to federal. And if it does, in fact, go to federal, from what I understand, is it could set a precedent. If it goes to federal court um, and, you know, whatever they rule on it, it could change the precedent for how either future cases are, uh, are handled or just it could change a law and it could more define, like, what it is. So it could go either way. Like, even if they say, okay... Yeah, you guys should have been able to cross that, whatever. I mean, I think that they still could say, we don't want to deal with this bullshit anymore, so we're just going to say, draw a line in the sand and say, no, like, you can't cross it. So you got to be a little bit careful of what you wish for. I think most of us want the corner crossing to be legal, um, and we want to be able to just, you know, go to a few more places, access some more ground, but um, that might not be the case of what happens, so... Just keep that in mind. And then, uh, gosh, back back in the spring seasons of uh, people running into grizzly bears, there was a whole bunch of shed hunters last year that got that were getting whacked by by the bears, at least harassed, you know. Um, but this fella unfortunately passed because of one or what they um, are appearing or what it appeared to be a grizzly bear attack. So a fellow by the name of uh, Craig Clocher, Clocher, 
He lived in Livingston, Montana. He went missing. Um, uh, officials sent out a search and rescue team, including helicopters, and they found the man dead in what appears to be a grizzly bear attack. So that is awful. And uh, anybody that is going to be, you know, out bear hunting where there are both black bears and grizzly bears, like, just be smart and take the precautions that are needed. It could happen to anybody. And uh, you want to be prepared for such of a thing. So just keep your head up or uh, keep your head on a swivel more so. Okay. And then last one over to the Wyoming Wildlife Federation. There's a fellow by the name of Sam Lockwood that published an article called The History of Wyoming Range Mule Deer. His father was a biologist for um, a long time from, it looks like from 89 until 2012 in Kemmer. And um, a big part of his job was to manage the Wyoming Range mule deer herd, which is a very famous herd. That's like Region G and H, I think, also. Um, But, yeah, it's just really famous. And they were going through, he was talking about some of the, you know, the population changes over the years and, like, how in, in 1990 is actually very interesting they were like way over objective basically from like 1987 through 92 i think um they were over like that was the high so 89 through 92 is what it says the historical high they said that they were finding like on the winter range um they were finding a uh, a survival rate on the fawns 90 to 100 does so 90 percent survival rate on the fawns is what they were finding then nowadays you're at like 60 percent like idaho just came through and said 60 percent was like above a objective of what they wanted so you know now you're getting a different different uh, region obviously but yeah, it even says here in the article, you know, 50 to 60% is more like what you're seeing now. And at that time, it was 90%. Um, and every, you know, ever since then, they actually changed what they wanted the, the herd objective to be after that. And uh, as of 2010, it still had not reached that. And I'm sure it's not reached that now. But it's not a very long read and is really interesting. I like that kind of stuff that really applies to what's going on out there. So go check that out. Okay, um, important dates that are coming up. So there have been quite a few um, dates that have already passed as far as application deadlines and things. Um, coming up the end of this month, there's not really much uh, for the next couple weeks, but end of this month, the 29th, you have the Kansas deer application deadline for non-residents. The 30th, you have the Idaho, you know, big three going in. Um, moose sheep mountain goat um, <clears throat> may 1st you have the montana big four actually because you can put in for bison there going in uh, nevada follows them on the 10th with their all species deadline oregon then follows on the 15th with their all species deadline um, washington looks like they're going to be the 26th and then at the end of the month the 31st you have the idaho super hunt application deadline and then a big one the Wyoming deer, antelope, and resident elk application deadline. And then pretty much after that, uh, there's a couple more like California throw in for it. Um, Kansas, they still have some stuff stuff open there. Um, But everything after that is like B tags, uh, you know, um, 
leftover draws, things like that. So I'll try to keep some tabs on some of that stuff coming up. Um, for the hot minute, I want to talk a little bit about some camping essentials, essentially, or especially for like wall tent or vehicle camping. Uh, now that the spring seasons are coming up, it seems like for bears and things like that, there's people that still backpack for it, but a lot of guys are doing like big road style, like wall tent canvas type hunts that are just a little more chill, especially with the days not being so long and you have a lot of time to hang out in the evenings. Um, so there's tons of ways to do this. Uh, I personally have a Davis tents, a 12 by 14 canvas tent that I would use for something like this. I also have their, t their, uh, stove to go with it. Um, that setup is really nice. A 12 by 14, like two people with a bunch of stuff, you got room. Um, I think that you could fit four people. It would be, could be a little tight, but you could definitely put four cots in there um, if you're with your, your buddies with a stove. And I also have uh, Davis's Go Tent if you're a loner or you just have one person with you. Um, one person and a, a stove is pretty good in there. Um, you can still spread all your gear out and two people without a stove is pretty is doable in one of those as well but it's just smaller it's easier to set up for one person um a 12 by 14 is a little a little overkill if you're not gonna if you're you know you plan on putting it up by yourself and taking it down by yourself but there's a lot of other ways to do it besides a wall tent um we also have a trailer set up so basically a um i bought a trailer so we could put the side by side in it and then i put a propane um direct vent heater in it i insulated the walls and the ceiling uh, we put electrical in it so a little extra um comfort there and uh not putting a ton of money into like a camper um so you have that that's a little crazy uh, setup but there's obviously just your regular campers but then there's you know using like a tp style setup uh uh something i've seen people use too is like a Kodiak canvas makes a tent for the back of your vehicle. So it's not like a rooftop camper thing, um, but it actually goes over the entire bed of your, of your pickup and then you can sleep inside of it. Um, people use toppers for that, basically the same thing on their vehicle. Um, using regular dome style tents. There's, you know, usually a regular little backpacking tent, which really sucks. Like, if you uh, if you're gonna be doing some car camping, like I'd make sure that that sucker is comfortable. Um, a little background on what I like to do with um, vehicle camping stuff. Like I still like to be able to fit it all in the back of a pickup if I can. So I try not to take things that are too like too big, like great big cook stove systems. I try to keep it pretty minimal, and I'll go through that in a second. Um, but there's a lot of ways to do it, and it's a really good way to get out and about. And, I mean, if you're kind of a little bit on a money crunch and you don't want to, you know, invest in backpacking gear, like, that's one thing I said in some other articles um, or some other podcasts is, like, just car camping in general and cutting out the backpacking gear can save you a lot of cash up front. So just think about that going in. So... Um, something with the stove, no matter whose stove you use, if you're going to buy a wall tent stove, I would highly consider getting a water container with it. So what it is, is it basically is a, a little, little, uh, 
box, I guess, looking thing that slides on the side of your stove. You can fill it up with water and then obviously as your stove heats up, it's going to heat the water up too. And then with the spigot, it's just a really nice way to have hot water very fast um, and consistently too. So um, one thing with the stove, I've had a couple of people ask like, hey, um, what stove is going to let you last all night in a wall tent? I just don't think it's out there. Um, we talked about putting a pellet, um, like a pellet stove adapter on a wood stove. So it basically feeds you, it feeds pellets in. That would be like my all time greatest system. If you could find something like that, that would run overnight. Um, Travis Hobbs has one. Uh, we talked about it in a episode we did on hunting mule deer with Robbie and Travis. You can go check that episode out. And he talks about it in there and kind of how he does it. It's not doesn't seem to be a, a regular thing. And there are some guys I talk to that are trying to develop something like this. And they're just like, it is really hard to get one that doesn't foul up and that will actually stay lit. So uh, if you could find something like that, that would be really nice. But for the most part, like you're just going to have to find some good wood and, you know, learn how to dampen your stove down to where it'll keep as much of that. You know, the stove will stay lit for a long period of time and you won't have to get up in the middle of the night. But the fact of the matter is you're in a thin walled shelter and it just doesn't have insulation and you're going to lose heat fast. It's just kind of the way it is. If you don't have that, if that stove's not really rolling, um, the you know a tent just isn't set up to keep that heat in so it kind of just is what it is but the you know having a stove at all way outweighs not having one at all so um keep that in mind okay uh one thing for lighting the the fires i think that can be a good thing to have a lot of times you get in and it's cold and you're like fiddle freaking around with like little kindling trying to get kindling going you're trying to mess with fire starter uh, you're trying to mess with a lighter and sometimes it takes a while to get a stove <laughs> rolling it can be really frustrating so if you just go down to the hardware store and get a torch tip for a one pound propane bottle and a little bit of lighter fluid it can make your life a little bit easier especially with that torch tip and they're super inexpensive and they work great um, I like to bring a fire starter in like a pyro putty or something like that. That's also a great option to start fires. Typically I go the cheaper route. Um, if I'm not backpacking and I go with like, just get like a whole bag of cotton balls and then get some Vaseline. And that is a good way to start it. Um, my dad, when they were doing a bunch of hunts before they even went on the trip, he would pre-make like kindling packs wrapped in a newspaper so when they got in at least the kindling and all that stuff was in one little deal that they could toss in they could throw a match in with it and that would get them started so that's one thing I would say that will make your life easier is think about how you're going to be building that fire when you come back um, before you before you go out there and have to mess with it in the field get that all a little pre-planned that'll make your life easier um I would recommend a tarp for the outside of your wall tent, um, you know, for like if it's going to rain and snow, that canvas, you know, especially like snow just gets stuck to it and it's probably going to be a really wet snow in the spring. So um, 
it can stick to it. And if you're trying to roll that thing up and get it back in a bag, especially like it's going to make it super heavy. Um, it's going to be harder to fold up and you're going to really need to dry that out. And a lot of times it's just not an option. Like when we need to go, we need to go. We can't wait for something to dry out. So um, that tarp over the top of the whole tent is just going to let all that moisture slide off. It's going to let the snow slide off and it's going to be a lot easier to put your, your tent back in, in its place, I guess. Um, another thing for the outside, bring a hammer for knocking in the stakes into the ground. It's not going to be, they're pretty big stakes. It's not going to be very easy to just, um, it's going to suck to do it with a little rock for sure. Or you can use the back of a hatchet to hatchet a couple more uses than a hammer probably. But, uh, yeah, bring something to knock those stakes in. Um, for the inside, if you have a floor, I would throw a broom in of some kind for sweeping off the floor. Um, as, far, as far as floors go, uh, I do have a full-length floor, and I have started, I actually uh, folded it back to a three-quarter floor when I'm putting it in. So then you have kind of like a mudroom porch-style thing um, in the front there that then you could take your boots off and then you could be stepping in your um, camp shoes or your socks or whatever on the regular floor of the shelter so um, or of, of the wall tent so a little broom to sweep that stuff off is nice um, I think sleeping wise you know I think cots are a given in a wall tent that's a lot of reason that we like to sleep next to the road is have a little bit comfier bed so I've just bought those $50 cots from Cabela's. They work fine. They compress down pretty small. Um, they're not like overly big. If you're a really big guy, they make like some wider XL ones, but uh, those little $40, $50 ones have been pretty good for me. Um, you still should use, in my opinion, you should use some kind of a pad with the cot. Um, the cots are not a replacement for a sleeping pad. They are just something to get you like further off the ground, more like a bed, and just be a little bit more comfortable. Um, but you should still put some kind of an insulating pad in between you and the top of that cot. Um, I use just a foam pad, like one of those big foam pads that actually Davis sells them. Um, Cabela sells them. But something like that is just really comfortable. You don't have to blow it up. Um, but you can definitely use your backpacking little blow-up pad. Um, okay. Lighting. This is another one. Uh, I am, I don't know if I was, I'm lazy. I just like stuff that does not take a lot of, uh, a lot of tender care. So a mantle on a lantern is one of those things that drives me nuts because it seems like you're, you're messing with them, like trying to put a new mantle on when it's cold and your fingers are cold and it's just pain in the ass. So if you're going to take a, like a propane lantern, tie a new mantle on it before you leave home for sure. Um, otherwise if it's like an old one, it might like, it's probably pretty brittle. It might break in the process or just get a battery powered one. And that's what I would recommend. Get a, you know, the battery powered lanterns. These days they're like LED they're just easy and they last for quite a long time. Um, you can also get some kits that are like lights that uh, have like an internal battery in them. Um, Davis Tents actually sells a kit that has like a couple of them that they look like light bulbs, but they're LED lights and they have a little battery in them and you 
daisy chain the solar panel that you put on the outside of the tent to those lights and then when you're gone during the day the lights will recharge and when you come in you can click them on I also saw somebody on the forums that said they take a couple of those little uh, solar lights with them too, like those little yard solar lights that you just push into the ground. So then when they get back in the dark, there's like a little bit of a porch light type thing lighting their way into the tent. Um, so those can be a really good one. Uh, I bought a battery bank from Goal Zero a few years back. Uh, it's the 400. They just call it the 400. Um, it's the lead acid version. And I use it to charge phones, cameras. Uh, if you have lights that have a USB plug, you can plug those right into that thing and it'll run them for a long time if they're like those little LED lights. Um, but that is a really good way to have like a power source is have a bank like that. The Goal Zero one has, it's been fine. Um, I really like it. Uh, another thing for inside, I would definitely do just like a poly folding table. Those are nice to have. And then chairs, whether they're lawn chairs or little backpacking chairs, like chairs for inside to just hang out on um, are, are nice to have. Uh, and then make sure, you know, you bring a little saw for cutting wood. Um, I used to not do this and just go try to pick up whatever I could find and stomp on it to break it and things like that. But I do think that if you have a little saw and you can cut a little bit bigger logs that you can't just break with your hand or your foot, um, that those like bigger ones will obviously just last in that stove a little bit longer. So definitely bring some kind of a, some kind of a little handsaw. Uh, one big recommendation of mine would be the one that they call a Wyoming saw. It's basically like a packable hacksaw, comes apart in a few different pieces. Um, fits in a little case, comes with a couple of blades. So it comes with like a fine bone blade and then it also comes with a wood blade. So that fine bone blade like works really good if you're skull capping animals or if you need, uh, you know, saw to cut ribs or whatever and you have that little bit finer blade and then you also have the wood blade for wood, obviously, things like that. But that's a little foldable wood saw that is really nice. And then those little... Um, like handheld foldable ones. It's just a wood saw. It just like, you know, folds out like a knife. Uh, those can be obviously really handy to have as well. Um, we're going to end up getting a DeWalt electric chainsaw this year just because all of our stuff is DeWalt and uh, we can interchange batteries. But for our purposes, um, just having a little DeWalt uh, or just going electric is going to be nicer than even one of those little um, gas-powered chainsaws. You just don't have to worry about gas and all that stuff. Um, so that's good. And then um, also a good snow scoop shovel. Like not a snow shovel that you push your driveway with, but like an actual snow shovel. Um, good for, you know, clearing out a place if it has snowed for your tent. And then um, having, if you get stuck in your vehicle. And then obviously stuff for your vehicle, consider snow chains, like know what you're getting yourself into. A lot of times in the spring when things are melting, like it's not even the snow you have to worry about, it's the mud. So keep that in mind for sure with uh, tire chains, give it, give it a look, um, consider it for sure. And then make sure you have a tow rope with you. Uh, okay, and then water storage. So we have been using those just plastic molded water jugs with a little spout on them. They're fairly inexpensive. You can get the ones that are really cheap and uh, collapsible, but 
I've run into more troubles with those things than they're worth than it's worth messing with, I guess. So just those molded uh, plastic ones have been pretty good for us. And then I also have a Yeti silo. It's like a cooler with a, um, a spigot on the bottom of it. And we've filled that thing up with water before this last year. And we've actually kept it outside the trailer or outside the tent or whatever. And uh, used it to like refill Nalgene bottles and stuff quickly in the morning or rinse something out with. Um, but that is nice just because it'll keep your water from freezing at least as quickly. So you have one of those little plastic containers. Like if it's really cold one night, it's probably going to be pretty froze. If it's going to freeze, like it's probably going to be pretty frozen. Whereas, you know, the same night in that Yeti, it's going to keep it a little more insulated from the outside temperatures. So it's probably not going to be frozen the first night. Um, as you just leave it outside night after night after night and day after day, if it's, if it's cold during the day, then it's going to build up some ice. Um, but that is, you know, obviously a good option as well. And then you just have another cooler if you want to use it but we've only filled it just with straight water um and then if you need to be able to like filter water there uh, if you're just like you know you've gone through all the water that you've used and you need some kind of like a backup system for if you need to filter it um, i've had really good luck with the msr 10 liter gravity flow water filter i take that with me backpacking as well um, the top is like a roll top style so you can pack snow in it really easily i did that last year or a couple years ago i guess a bit and that's just a good system and 10 liters is quite a bit of water depending you know what you're doing with it um cooking stoves so this is more so where i get into not wanting like a lot of big bulky heavy stuff um We've got, well, Leah's got a uh, a camp chef. It's like a three burner, big ass, like standalone um, three burner stove. Um, those are, they're nice, but they are heavy and they are pretty bulky too for what they do, in my opinion. So if it's just going to stand out like by itself, like good system to go with. Um, back to me wanting to be, a little bit more minimalistic. Edna, it's okay. Um, back to me wanting to be a little bit more minimalistic um, with what I'm taking with me. I like the, you know, the ones that will sit on a tabletop. So some of those one and two burner little stoves are like pretty cheap. They're super packable and they just run off those little one pound propane bottles, which can be um, just pretty easy to acquire and pack and all the things. So uh, you can do that. We also have, we bought a Pit Boss griddle. It's a two burner with a griddle top and that thing runs off of one pound propane bottles as well and has been really nice. And both of those things for us just fit um, right on top of a tabletop. So we can cook with it and then we can, you know, stick it underneath if we want to, to, to be out of the way. Um, I would also say, oh, we just picked up one of those little portable smoker grills too as a little bit of a comfort item but it's a traeger scout i don't even think they make the scout anymore but they have others that are similar um, it's a traeger and we can plug that into our vehicles or our um, our generator and get that thing um, fired up which will be kind of nice for some extra extra bling on the camping trips um, a shower 
is one thing that's obviously extra, but something to consider if you're going to be out there for a long time. It can be really nice. We have an instant water heater. It is a, it's propane, so you throw the propane into it, um, just a regular 20-pound propane, propane bottle. Screw it in there. Um, you have a little pump that you need to, to um, power with 12 volt. So that's another thing where those little um, like goal zero power banks come in really handy. You can plug a 12 volt into it, you know, similar to a cigarette lighter. I guess depending on how you, you want to set it up, you can put any kind of a little plug on there that you want. But um, you can plug it into 12 volt power source and then it'll pump the water into the into the unit and there's a couple of D batteries that when that water starts going through the heater it will um, automatically ignite for you. So it's a really good way to take a shower. Um, those are good and then those sun showers are can be another good option if you just want to like wash your hands and your face and things like that. And then the last two I'll put here for that I picked up from Robbie is a propane boot dryer. So those, you know, boot dryers that you flip your boots over upside down on that usually plug into the wall. They also make one of those with a that takes one of those little green propane bottles. And it just uh, produces a little like a little flame and circulates the air and then you don't have to have electricity, which is really nice. And second thing I picked up from Robbie is a NOAA weather radio. Um, can be really nice for getting weather if you don't have any cell reception. Um, another good way to get weather as well is your inReach. Um, but you usually like have to pay for it in some way. So anyways, that's what I got for the, uh, for the spring uh, vehicle camping setups. Um, on to uh, so Onyx Hunt want to thank them for sponsoring the podcast and helping us kick this thing out to you. If you go to onyxmaps.com forward slash hunt and use code rockcast, you will receive 20% off of your, uh, of a subscription for maps and mapping stuff. It's really nice to keep everything. Um, I've said it a bajillion times, but, um, keeping everything kind of like organized is really nice in a mapping and it almost pretty much acts as a journal for me which I've talked about a bunch, but it does. Uh, and then Black Rifle Coffee Company, keeping me uh, caffeinated on the daily. If you use code ROCKSLIDE at checkout, you will get 20% off. It is a one-time use code per customer. That is good on everything that they have. So their subscription service, which is really nice if uh, you just don't even have to think about it, and they will send you some coffee um, to last you for the next couple weeks or however long you want to uh, keep it going. And then uh, a new sponsor for us is ActiveJunkie.com. Active Junkie is a really interesting, like super cool way to save money and not even really think about it. So what Active Junkie is, they have like 1,500, uh, 1500 different like brands and uh, retailers, both big and small. They've got like Cabela's. Um, they have smaller ones like Sportsman's Warehouse, which is getting pretty big now. Um, and then they have like brands like Carhartt. They've got Kuyu. Um, they're working on quite a few others that a lot of us listen to this use. But they also have other brands like Nike and other retailers. Um, they have even have Lowe's, which I saw that was pretty sweet. So basically what it is, is you go to their website, you sign up, for free. And if you go to those websites that you want to 
purchase something off of. If you go through the Active Junkie website, if you click through their website to get to that retailer that you want to purchase from, then Active Junkie will give you cash back and up to 20% in some situations, um, depending on the brand and, and the retailer. So if you, you know, you have something that you've been eyeing, you know, you have a sleeping pad or you have a new tent that you want, a new rifle that you want. Um, optics is, you know, a big thing that we're all trying to find a deal on and save money on. So if you um, click through Active Junkie and you go to a retailer and that specific retailer gives you 20% off um, or 20% cash back, I should say more so, um, you can go on, like say you go to, you go to Sportsman's Warehouse, you buy, you know, a $1,000 scope and Active Junkie is going to give you 20% cash back. You get $200 back and they give you cash. You're not just gaining points to use with how they tell you to use them. They actually deposit it into your PayPal account or they send you a check in the mail. So it's straight up cash back every 90 days. So really good way to save some money. I've seen quite a few people on the Rockslide forums that are buying like, seems like the big ticket items like you know, optics and rifles and things like that. And they're stacking them with other um, discounts that they're getting from the retailer they're purchasing through. So, you know, they're getting 10, 15, 20, whatever percent off um, right through the retailer themselves. And then Active Junkie is giving them up to 20% cash back too. And they're saving a ton of money on some of these big items. So definitely worth taking a look at there. And then we have another new sponsor, First Light Clothing is has come on and is helping us kick this podcast out. Have a bunch of new, um, you know, new 2022 items coming in that are being released um, as we go here throughout the spring. They've got some really cool new stuff. They have a new waterfowl line. If you haven't seen that yet, go check it out. Um, they've got the basics on there now with a new pattern, which I really, really like that pattern. And uh, yeah, go check them out, firstlight.com. I just talked about the uh, Origin hoodie that has come out, and then I've got some new rain gear coming out as well. So go check out firstlight.com, and that's what I got for you this week. So upcoming episodes, um, I talked to Leah a little bit about turkey hunting and some of the gear that we're using this year for that and some of the strategies that, you know, being a guide, I have kind of come up with in a very simplistic way because I don't find myself as a good turkey hunter but that's a good episode and then we have the um, the Rockstaff top gear picks from last year as well is coming in an episode so um, yeah just uh, thanks for all the support and if you want to leave a review go over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast leave a review please and yeah Stay tuned for uh, some more episodes coming in.